Morena and Buenos Dias, CBC. Oh, gosh. Good morning, CBC. Oh, that was getting better. Good morning, CBC. Good morning, CBC. You see, if I take long enough, then I might actually get this turned on in time. Hey, there we go. Hey, well, it's great to see you this morning, and um, thank you so much for the privilege of, of being with you today. Um, my wife, Danielle, and, and the kids would have loved to be here, but um, they're back down, down home uh, in Christchurch, but they send their greetings for all those of you who know them. And, I mean, as, as Craig said earlier, I, I work for uh, Word of Life, a Christian youth ministry, um, which is a real privilege, but I haven't always worked in Christian ministry. In fact, in my first job out of school, I was a cinema attendant at a movie theatre, which meant that I was the guy that, you know, swept up and vacuumed all the popcorn that you leave all over the floor when you go to the movies and ripped tickets and just took care of making sure the place was ready for people. But in that job, I had a very annoying assistant manager. His name was Steve. And I wonder if some of you guys can identify with me this morning. Not, not because his name was Steve. <laughs> to any Steves out there, I do apologize. But because he was an annoying employer. Steve was one of those guys that could find fault with anything that you did. Didn't matter how hard you worked, how much excellence and diligence you did your tasks with, he'd always find something, however minute, to pull you up on. Steve's favorite with me was streaks on the mirrors in the public toilets in our cinema complex. I'd be hip deep in popcorn after a sold out children's session, trying to get it ready for the next, you know, 200 screaming children to come and watch Shrek. And I would get a call on my walkie-talkie from Steve saying, oh, Nathan, I've just been in the, in the downstairs men's toilets and there's streaks on the bathroom mirror. Could you sort that out, please? Yes, Steve, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that as soon as I can. A busy Friday night rolled around and it was so busy. It was busier than we expected. We were selling out sessions and we were severely understaffed. And my role that night was I was in charge of what we call the floor team. So that's the team that was looking after cleaning cinemas and ripping tickets and making sure that everything was, was on time and clean and tidy. The upshot of us being so understaffed and so busy was that one of our cinemas, one session, opened five minutes late because we just couldn't get it cleaned in time. At the end of my shift, predictably, Steve pulled me up. And he says, Nathan, that wasn't good enough. That cinema should have been open on time. I said, Steve, you're right. I'm sorry that it wasn't. But then I pointed out the fact that, hey, it was a really busy night, busier than we'd expected, and we were understaffed. Steve's response to that was, oh, you have a walkie-talkie. You should have called me. I would have come and helped you clean that cinema. I said, oh, excellent. That's good to know. Thanks, Steve. I'll remember that. The next shift I had, I had Steve cleaning cinemas with me all night long. If there was even the remotest possibility that a cinema might not open on time, uh, Steve, can you just come to Cinema 5, help us uh, do some vacuuming, please? And he'd be there. Now, the real question is, was that the right way for me to respond in that circumstance? As a Christian in that workplace, was that a good example? And I'd say no. I could have handled that a lot better. I did not respect Steve as an authority over me in the way that I should have. But I'm sure many of us have, have asked some of these questions before. You know, Most of us here work or have aspirations to work in the future. And some of us have better bosses than others. 
But have you ever just felt the need to grab your employer or manager, supervisor by the scruff of the neck and just say to them, come on, get it sorted out. This is not how you should be doing this. This is not fair. Have you ever wanted to just shake them and tell them what's what? Have you ever imagined what you might say to them given the opportunity? Or perhaps you've actually had the opportunity to say something to them, but you haven't had the guts to quite say it. Or perhaps wisdom prevailed and you kept your mouth shut. But it's interesting that driving home from those situations, lying awake in bed that night, they replay in your head. And you think of all the things that you could have said, the things that you wish you should have said, and you're composing these little comebacks and eloquent lines in your head. And we do these little reruns. Who always wins those reruns? You know, I've lost a lot of arguments in my time, but I tell you, I have never lost a rerun. I get pretty good at reruns. But have you ever stopped to ask the question, how is it that Christ wants me to act in these circumstances? Today we're going to have a look at how the Apostle Peter addressed a similar situation as he wrote to a young church in the province of Asia Minor, which is where modern-day Turkey is. And we'll discover some principles around how we should act in the workplace today and why it is that Christ wants us to act that way. Now, the first thing as we look at this passage that you're going to think is, okay, why are you talking about the workplace? The first word in this passage is slaves. And the word slavery conjures up all these images and thoughts and preconceived ideas that we have about what slavery is based on the history that we've learned and the, the movies that we've consumed and the media that we see and the social media feeds that we're reading at the moment. Uh, you know, if you get down, to, and we could start talking about Black Lives Matter, whether you, uh, whatever you think about that as a movement or as a, um, as a saying. I mean, some of you, I can see you're ready to get out your placards and march down the street and other people are rolling their eyes and saying, oh gosh, he's not getting political on us, is he? Bear with me one moment. I want you to take all of those things that you're thinking about right now. I want you to take all your current thoughts about what you think you know about slavery, especially if those thoughts come from black slavery in America circa 1800. And we're going to take all those and we're going to just put them over here. And we're not going to touch them today. We're not going to talk about that at all. Not because it's a bad thing to talk about, but because those things are going to confuse the issue. Because slavery in the ancient world was very, very different from our idea of slavery. First of all, slavery was not a racial discrimination. You weren't a slave because of the color of your skin, because of your culture, or because of where you came from. Secondly, slavery was not lifelong. In fact, a lot of people chose to be slaves voluntarily because it was a path to Roman citizenship. And that was something that was coveted. Slavery was also not just about manual labor. Slaves were often very, very educated people. Slaves were doctors, they were managers, they were teachers, and they fulfilled many other important roles in their masters' households and businesses. In fact, as we look at the, the Roman Empire and these slaves that Peter's writing to, the part that they play in their society and culture is pretty much 
middle-class workers. And most of us here today fit into that band of our society and our culture, that we are the working middle class. So let's have a look at what Peter said to these slaves, and then we'll discover what it means for us today. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, so if you have a, a Bible um, or a device, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, it will also be on the screen behind me. Peter says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Here Peter commands slaves to submit to their masters with all respect. And he says that this respect applies to all situations, both good and bad. It's not the thing that we perhaps would expect Peter to be saying to these slaves. To get a, a picture, let's imagine a, a couple of different scenarios. First, let's imagine a, a slave named Julius. Julius has given himself as a slave by choice. His master is fair and treats him well. And his master has seen how hard he works. And so is giving him more authority and more responsibility. Julius is in a pretty good situation as a slave. On the other hand, let's imagine another slave. Let's call him Ludovic. Ludovic was captured in the hostile territories to the north. He was sold in a slave market, and he was purchased for his physical strength. Ludovic works his master's fields. His master is cruel and often beats his slaves just to assert his authority over them. Now, what Peter is saying to slaves in this situation is that for both Julius in a good situation and Ludovic in a terrible situation, they're to treat their masters with all respect. God's will is that even Ludovic, amongst his suffering, respects his master. And that is pleasing to God. However, Peter does say, if you do something stupid, something you shouldn't do, and you, you get treated harshly for that, then that's not commendable before God. That's, you know, you did something dumb and you got punished for it. You deserved it. Now, slavery in our world is not where this applies. As we said before, working middle class was kind of what those, those slaves were. And so some of these principles that Peter's talking about actually apply to us in our relationship with our employer, with our manager, with our supervisor, with our boss. And we also have differing relationships with our boss. Some of you guys have a fantastic boss. Some of you guys, Craig's your boss. Some of you guys, Ross is your boss. Some of you guys, Will is your boss. You guys have great people employing you who love you and care for you. Some of you guys, I'm sure, are not in such enviable situations. And at times, 
we here in New Zealand also suffer in the workplace. It looks a little different, but it's suffering nonetheless. And what we need to grasp is that just like the slaves that Peter was talking to, in the same way, we need to respect our boss or our supervisor no matter how we are treated. And that can be a tough pill to swallow. And some of you are sitting there saying, why, Nathan, why? Doesn't God want us to be treated fairly? Isn't our God a God of justice? Well, I'm glad you asked because Peter has some answers. Peter goes on to say in verse 21, to this you were called. He's just finished saying to these slaves, respect your masters in all situations, no matter whether they're good or bad. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he talks about Christ's example. He says, he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here are the reasons that Peter gives the slaves for why they should endure suffering and still respect their masters. He says, Christ suffered for them and set them an example to follow. And as he fleshes that out, he says, Christ committed no sin. He hadn't done anything wrong, and therefore his suffering was unjust. And so as Christ suffered unjustly for you, now he is asking you to endure unjust suffering for him. He says that Christ did not retaliate when he was insulted or abused. Instead, he gave himself over to the Father. He trusted in God's judgment. And in his suffering, Christ paid for their sins. He paid for the sins of those slaves so they might put aside their own sinful ways, so they might die to sin and live a life of righteousness. And from the wider context of what Peter's saying, we also discover, discover that they suffer for the Lord's sake. In verse 13, earlier in that passage, Peter says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. Responding with respect in these situations will silence those who speak negatively of Christ. Verse 15, Peter also says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. What Peter's saying is that this denies people any foundation for thinking negatively of Christ because of the slave's testimony. Peter's heartbeat from this passage is that believers would live a blameless life free from the possibility of accusations from others that would reflect badly on Christ, on Christians, and on the church. 
Peter's big thought here is that Christ-like character challenges preconceptions. Now, Peter was speaking to these slaves, but both these reasons apply directly to us as well because Christ's suffering, just as much as it was for those slaves, is an example for us to follow too because Christ also suffered for us. And Christ-like character in our work environment challenges the preconceptions of others, what they think about Christ, what they think about Christians, what they think about the church. We've all heard people's negative comments and preconceived ideas about Christians and Christianity today. They'll say things like, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing and they do another. Christians, I don't get them. They're just, it's like they're blind to the truth of modern science. They just don't understand anything. Religion is just a crutch that people use to get through the tough times in life. Christians are deluded. No one can hope to live up to their standards. They just use them to make the rest of us feel guilty. And I could go on and on, and they would get worse and worse and aren't worth repeating here. But as followers of Christ, as Christians in our workplaces... We should be characterized by our work ethic, by our reliability, by our dependability, and our dedication. We should not be the ones who are backstabbing and scrounging in order to get pay rises and promotions. Instead, we should be content with what it is that the Lord gives us. Suffering in the workplace for us today may mean sitting quietly while someone else gets my promotion or my pay rise. Suffering in the workplace today may mean that you respectfully endure a tongue lashing from your boss for that decision you made that they didn't agree with. Suffering in the workplace today may mean that you are ridiculed by your workmates for your work ethic, for the way that you always seek to do things to the best of your ability. My third shift working at the cinema, there was another guy with me who was supposed to be finishing up my training. The only thing that he taught me the entire shift was where the blind spots in the security cameras were so that we could get away without doing any work. In a culture where near enough is good enough and good work ethic is sometimes a contradiction in terms, we as believers are called to a higher standard, a standard which sets us above the rest and a standard which speaks volumes about our relationship with Christ and about Christ at work in our lives. And as we seek to live out this standard, hopefully we'll start to see that our Christ-like character begins to challenge the preconceptions of those around us. Our simple actions should stand out as people learn what motivates those actions. What motivates those choices? Why we live the way we do? Why we value the things we value? And people's preconceptions about Jesus Christ, about Christians, about Christianity, about the church, will start to be challenged. And hopefully will start to crumble as they encounter you, a believer living out your faith in a very real way, in a culture that just 
doesn't understand that. When I was at the movie theatre, we had a, a new girl join our staff at one point. And at that stage, I was the only Christian on a staff of 50. And after she'd been there for a couple of weeks, we were just talking one day, and she just suddenly stopped and said, Nathan, why are you different? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> hang on a second. But she's no, no, seriously, you're different. You speak differently. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard you swear. Why are you weird? And it's true in that culture, I guess I was weird. I was unusual. Because of, simply because of the, the words that I had chosen not to be a part of my vocabulary that were just kind of normal vernacular within the rest of the staff. But that gave me an opportunity to share with her about the values that underpin my life choices and about the relationship that I have with Christ which informs my choices. I was talking to a friend just last week, and she was telling me about a pretty rubbish situation happening in her workplace, uh, where there's this, this other lady that's just being a bully, and she's just super insecure, and it's coming out in really, really negative ways. And the more she talked and the more she told me, the more my jaw dropped. And I was just, I couldn't believe some of the things that she was telling me that were going on in her workplace and some of the stuff that she was having to deal with. And I just said, oh gosh, it seems like this lady just needs Jesus. She turned to me straight away and she said, that's the problem. She's a Christian. And I went, wow. That lady is never going to have an opportunity to share Christ in her workplace if she continues to act the way she's acting. And Peter's heartbeat as he speaks to the slaves here is that they would never destroy their testimony in such a way that they can't speak to people about Christ. The way we act the things that we choose to do, the values that we live our life by, our work ethic, have a very real impact on the people around us. And therefore the opportunities that we have to impact others with the gospel. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I am the boss. What does this have to do with me? Good question. You can still carry out the heart of this passage by impacting those around you with your Christ-like attitude. Being the boss doesn't mean that you no longer need to treat others with respect. In fact, often that becomes harder as the boss. Because it doesn't matter how good you are, you're still the authority figure that's going to get some flack. It may mean that when you have that disciplinary meeting with Peter, next week, that you take a softer approach than the one you had in mind, that you take that opportunity to demonstrate Christ's love and grace and mercy as you deal with him around whatever it was that he did. doesn't matter how frustrated you are at how stupid that young man is, as you apply love and grace and mercy to that situation, 
then you'll start to challenge his preconceptions about who you are. And he might hopefully start to realize that you have something more to offer and give you opportunity to share about your relationship with Christ. Perhaps you're sitting there content in the knowledge that you don't work with anyone else. You're a lone ranger, you're happy about that, you can just fold your arms and go back to sleep. Maybe you work alone. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're retired, perhaps you're, uh, you're studying, you're a stay-at-home mum or dad, but you're still rubbing shoulders with people in your life all the time. And each of these people can be impacted by your Christ-like character, by the way you choose to interact with the people around you. I'm sure that the staff at your favourite cafe would be intrigued if you start to learn their names and start to ask about their families and their kids as they tamp the shot and steam the milk for your flat white. Your Christ-like character will begin to challenge their preconceptions about you and about the church and about Christ. You see, as we think about relational evangelism, building relationship with others in order to share Christ, this needs to start from a foundation of strength of character. They need to understand that you are a person of principle and value and character so they can then start to ask the questions, why? What is it that makes you tick? Why are you so weird compared to everybody else around this place? What this does not mean is that you, you don't need to allow yourself to be completely walked over and bullied in the workplace. In each situation, you need to ask yourself the question, how can I best represent Christ in this situation? Does that mean that I, I just need to keep my mouth shut and I need to move on with what I have to do? Or are there avenues open to you where you can still respect your boss, you can still respect those in authority over you, but move through a process that's going to bring some restoration to whatever it is that's happening to you in that workplace. I certainly wouldn't want you to walk out of here and say, Nathan told me that I just have to put up with absolutely everything and my life's just going to be a misery from here on. In our nation, we're fortunate that processes exist to deal with these things respectfully. And just because you have a, a disagreement with your employer or your boss, your manager, it doesn't mean that you don't have to treat them with respect. You can always treat those in authority over you with respect while still appealing to some change. It also means that you don't engage in the talk with your workmates where they're tearing down your boss. Someone in authority is always going to cop the flack. And we need to set ourselves apart from that. Say, no, that's not who I'm going to be. One time I was asked by my manager to do something that I considered to be unethical. And so I had the choice to make. And what I choose, chose to do was to apologise and tell her, I'm sorry, I simply feel unable to do that because of the values that I live my life by. I was never disrespectful to her. 
but I also didn't do what she asked. I didn't make any, like I didn't make friends with my manager through that process. And I didn't get an opportunity to share the gospel with her either. In fact, she never spoke to me once from the day that that happened until she left that job a few months later. Part of that was probably she was angry with me, but I also think that she might have felt a little guilty because she realized that a junior staffer had had to tell her what was right. What I did get the opportunity to do was have some great conversations with other staff members as they came to me and says, I heard what you did. Awesome, but why? Why wouldn't you just do what she asked? I was able to have a conversation with my direct supervisor who said, you shouldn't have done that. You should have, you should have just said, you know, you, you couldn't be there and, and just played it off. I says, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of the values I live my life by. I'm a Christian. And at the end of the day, my faith is more important to me than this job. And I will put my faith and the values that come from that before this job. <coughs> Excuse me. And I was able to have multiple conversations like that with staff members. Where they were able to understand what it was that motivated me. What it was that caused me to think in those ways. So we've seen today that Peter's instructions to slaves about respecting their masters in all situations has very real meaning for us today, especially as we consider our work environments. We've discovered that there will be times when we should be willing to suffer because Christ suffered for us and so that we may advance the gospel and challenge people's preconceptions about Christ, about Christianity, and about the church. So the challenge for us today is to affect the people in our workplaces by the way we live out Christ. So as you walk into work on Monday morning, remember that your Christ-like character can and does challenge the preconceptions of your workmates and can lead to opportunity for you to speak into their lives and impact with that eternal truth that Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead. And if they trust in that truth, they can have a relationship with the creator of the world and their life will be forever changed. The band's just going to come up now, and we've um, got a couple more songs. But as, as they do that, I just want you to think about that simple truth. What are you going to do differently tomorrow than what you did last week? And how, how are you going to capitalize on the opportunities that your Christ-like character in the workplace gives you. I just want to take some time to pray for you all now that this might be something which really changes the way that you think 
about how you interact with your workmates. Father God, thank you that your word is just so full of values and principles that impact our lives today. Thank you that even a passage that was written nearly 2,000 years ago to slaves has very real meaning for us in New Zealand today. And Lord, I pray for each of us here that as we engage in relationship with the people in our workplace and the people around us, that you would give us strength to live out what you're asking of us. That you would help us to be Christ to those people. That you would give us the confidence to take opportunities that we have to speak about the gospel. And Lord, I pray that the lives of others would be impacted as CBC goes out into the city, out into their workplaces, out into the cafes, out into the different spheres of their lives and impact others with their Christ-like attitudes. I pray this in Jesus' name.